Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to issue a quick trigger warning that this episode contains discussion of suicide, self-harm, and drug abuse. It also contains a lot of laughs and jokes and general merriment, but it also does contain discussions of some very dark topics. So if you want to skip this one, I get it. Hey girlies, welcome to Crisis Twink, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. Whether it's a flop album, an insane headline, a problematic fave, or just something that needs to be urgently discussed or you'll die, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, and I'm the only twink who can save a culture in crisis. We have a very special guest today. Joining me is poet Andrew Ketchum. Hi. Hi. What a treat to have you here. How are you doing? Pretty great. How are you? You know, I'm doing well. Uh, We're recording this on a Monday night, which historically is like, for me, the worst time to record this podcast. But in a very shocking turn of events, I'm like actually in a good mood for once in my life. I love that. I will admit I've had a very, I've had like a crisis filled weekend. Okay. Um, I was attacked by a feral, expensive Italian hair dryer, um, which gave me this like black eye and like five stitches. Oh my god! <laughs> Wait, those are stitches? Okay, I wasn't gonna That's say anything like, because I thought it was just no. like a like brow like an art artistic for lack of <laughs> brow. No, no, no. I am not that um that artistic or like earnest. No, this is um I was like literally a spring-loaded metal bar came flying out of his hair dryer and like oh my god wallets me so that was fun and then last night at meeting house I got my wallet stolen so it's been like a really um fun I I will say like getting experience like a weekend on the other side of like the the aisle like spending it with my fellow sisters in the differently abled community it's been like eye-opening well I yeah. like closing and eye-opening for me um <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> gouging almost like right. It's been yeah. I've experienced a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of indifference from people, a lot yeah. of cruelty this weekend. Um, so I, I'm I'm looking very forward to uh, I guess like unleashing tonight. Yeah, uh, you have some pod. like pent up like velvet rage as a as a I've got some things to say. To, yeah, <laughs> I've got some things to say. I've got I will some say like, to burn. <laughs> as far as bruises and scars go, that looks pretty chic. The Thank placement you. is actually... like weirdly symmetrical. <laughs> well, not symmetrical, but like it, like it, it creates a nice brow line. Well, and I have like a matching one on my left brow. Like I have a like scar here that like goes down to here, so it'll just be a full matching <laughs> set. You know. <laughs> I was yeah. um recently watching an old episode of Real Housewives in New Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar with that franchise. Huge fan. <laughs> okay, just checking. So, like, there's a season two episode in which Caroline Manzo's kind of losery daughter, Lauren, is, like, in beauty school, and they have, like, an yep. avant-garde makeup day. And yes. I mean this in a positive sense, because I do think, like, Lauren is a talented makeup artist or something but like the many of like the avant-garde makeup displays on the episode are adjacent to, to the scar that you currently have <laughs> right and um, as a co- so high like compliment reference, 
Yeah. I knew I was um, making an appearance today and I thought, you know, this is, um, I dug deep into the reference archives. To, uh, <laughs> and that's exactly what I landed on. You hit it. That was um, Lauren's model from season two of Real Housewives. Of <laughs> so thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> we also need to issue a public service announcement to the Chicago queer scene writ large. Stop stealing people's shit at bars. It is the most, this has, so like, I didn't get my wallet stolen, but on Pride Sunday this year, not wasn't Market Days or Pride. No, it was Pride Sunday this year, Pride Sunday in late June. I got my phone stolen at, oh. well, sidetrack. So that was my first mistake. I shouldn't have been there oh, in the first wow. place, but like, and, and then my phone like ended up in Orlando. <laughs> I like, I, I mean, feel free to victim blame me. Like I, I would never victim blame in any circumstance except for when it's me with my phone. Like I, I knew better. I was right. wearing like slutty little Nike shorts with like shallow pockets. Like this, mm-hmm. I, I was, and I have to say, I really hesitate to say this, but I was asking for it and it did happen to me. So it did happen. Well, this person like tried to use my card at Boca Loca Cantina, right? Like the restaurant joining a meeting house. Yeah. So I obviously got the alert and ran over. Um, so I like know the person's name. I found their mom on Facebook and like messaged their mom and like a few of their cousins and was like, hey, like your son slash family member like stole my wallet last night and that's kind of not cool. Like, can you like please have them get it back to me? It's like all of my identifying documents, except like a passport that expired seven years ago. So in a bit <laughs> a of a dry, good luck with that. Wait, that's so funny though. Like you actually do you think they're going to respond to you about this? No, absolutely not. Wow. But I'm hopeful that I caused a little bit of embarrassment at like the next family get together. Oh my god. That's like my legacy. That's kind of the life I try to lead. It's like not like really disrupt somebody's life, but like disrupted enough to where like I'll be brought up a year later at like a family conversation, you know? And you are like well within your rights to do that as someone who has been like majorly inconvenienced. And one like <laughs> people don't really know like losing well, credit cards, ID, anything. It's like one of the most annoying things you can go yeah. through. Like it in like you don't really realize it's so awful until until it happens to you until it happens to you yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's it's so sad but um i think we need to move on to our first segment sure okay so we are going to play what is this segment called we're going to ring the alarm so andrew i am going to present you with three cultural scenarios from recent and or ancient history and you are going to decide whether or not to ring the alarm no wrong answers here but your choice is binary. Are you going to ring the alarm or not? Ring the alarm, meaning like in a positive, like it's a, or just we're just ringing the alarm. We're just like waking ourselves up. <laughs> if you if you think something needs to be examined, brought to people's attention, hundred um, percent, or even like in jailed, it's that's when you're ringing the alarm. Like we're got it. perfect, and we got some real doozies of topics today. Okay, so. Okay. Starting things off with kind of a softball, Lisa Rinna is leaving the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Bring the alarm. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. What did you think about this? People love to hate a villain. Um, We've learned that from like what I hope. Well, I am delusional. I'm always on the side of the villain. So like my obsession with Danielle Sao by now is not like a universal one. You're you're in safe (laughs) arms here. Danielle Sao is like maybe my favorite housewife. Like not not in terms of likability, but in terms of like sheer chaotic force. Like, And I will say season one, 
episode one of Real Housewives of New Jersey as one of the best forms of writing like translated to television the initial shots of danielle walking like her just from like the heels up with the voice over her about her talking about like her body and why people like her and how she works hard that like workout montage of her walking towards the pool i remember watching that being every woman and gay man in america hates this woman right now that is in seconds completely told the story and then the chaos we get for the rest of the season just like so um you know, villains of the Housewife franchises always get, like, the most, especially lately, like, the most hate online, and people think that, like, they need to be ousted. I think is an incredible player. Thank you for your service. You know, I support the vets. Yeah, like, I don't know where the show goes from here, because, like, she truly was the only person who was consistently driving plot forward. Even, she wasn't great at it by the end, and I can see why, like, maybe a pause was necessary for her to like just refresh a little bit come back with some like some new gas in the tank because like this past season was kind of a slog and like she was like you know for all of her contributions like she was a big part of why it was such a slog but like she should have gone fired i think it's more like i think like dorinda's exit which was a little bit more like uh this was a hard season for you like maybe you just step back a little bit um, which then, like, we got Dorinda for um, Ultimate Girls Trip. You know, yeah. the even just to use Bluestone Manor as the host for that chaos was worth it. So, yeah, I don't like the idea of running being fired. I shake up the cast. Like, shaking up the cast is always something that's, like, a good reminder to the girls, too, to, like, not, you know, I feel like sometimes the girls feel like they're the ultimate producers, and it's, like, always good to remind the talent that, like, they're not the ones running the show. 100%. I do... You know, Beverly Hills is in desperate need of a shakeup. And I think we are getting it between like Rena leaving. I mean, Diana leaving was like a mm-hmm. given. But I right. think from what I have seen, allegedly Dorit and Crystal are also leaving too. So there is a lot of room for like some new blood. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if like I love Sutton and Garcelle. Like they are arguably the only two like likable people on the current cast but like I don't think they're two people you build a franchise around no and I just don't I don't know I didn't take the bait I don't like Sutton I still don't like Mm -hmm. her I like first like 10 seconds of her on screen I was like oh I made a decision and I haven't seen anything that has like convinced me to move on from that hill (laughs) I do still want to die on it I think I'm like very susceptible to like a crazy southern woman like there is something very like tennessee williams about it that i i will always respond well to but like she is deeply annoying but they all kind of are in their own ways like beverly hills has never been a show where they're like like i don't think there was ever a carol kind of figure on beverly hills until garcelle joined the cast almost and even garcelle's kind of annoying sometimes too I, I can agree with that. I think my problem with Sutton, like, especially that, like, crazy Southern idea is, like, I used to work um, in selling, like, high-end um, fashion in New Orleans, and so, like, my clients were, like, Sutton's tracks, like, some yeah. of them. Um, but those were, like, the worst ones. They were just the, like, they weren't, I don't know, I feel like it's very, I mean, what people in New Orleans would call, like, Nouveau Riche, which isn't, like, the problem. Like, that's not, it's more of just, like, they're just uh, fucking annoying. Yeah. And, like, Satin just strikes me as somebody who, like, would come in and be, like, 
about like how to pronounce a designer's name and i'd be like well, this is i mean wh- which she is on the show too like she's always <laughs> right. talking about like alexis <laughs> and like all these like weirdos that she like has around like yeah but i do she's, think she is providing like an essential service on the show right now because we really sure. would not have like garcelle's pretty good at like stirring shit up but like sutton's well sutton does it a lot and she's clumsier at it yes so i think yeah. that generates more conflict well it's like anybody who like stirs any sort of response from me even if i don't like them like i'm like well that's they're doing a job like yes yeah. you know i <laughs> the producers did it right i'm having a response to this lady so you know keep the keep the old blonde bitch on i don't really i guess like this cast but i will say beverly hills has kind of fallen like slipped out of focus for me um when i feel like that's for a lot of people some of the housewives franchises have been like slipping yeah. a little bit obviously all eyes are on like salt lake city um and miami's having its nice little like renaissance yeah i haven't tapped into miami yet though like i that might be something i need to do this winter because salt lake we talked about salt lake city on last week's episode with yanni but the salt lake city i find unwatchable right now um right <laughs> and this is the first episode we're recording since jen shaw got six and a half years so sad for her and her family but um i don't and also sad for the show because i'm like where are we gonna go without her yeah i mean like the tiger king franchise kind of fell off without having like a lot of joe footage you know trying to use that like yeah prison cam footage didn't really it wasn't the cinema verite i mean see i didn't even tap into like the sequel series or whatever because (laughs) i was just like what are we what's like i don't need to hear scraps you know like and i do think (laughs) like salt lake city is a very scraps kind of place right now i am way more excited about the girls trips that we have in the pipeline we're also recording this on the day that they've announced girls trip four in which vicky phaedra and eva are oh and brandy are all returning Mm -hmm. Plus Caroline Manzo, the aforementioned Caroline Manzo, Alex McCord, Gretchen Rossi, and Camille. Stellar. Stunning Stellar. cast. No notes. And they're um, going hope- to Morocco, which I'm so excited about. <laughs> I hope Vicky's in a better mood. Um, uh- I kind of don't because... <laughs> so I'm in the middle of a um, Orange County rewatch from like... I think I'm on season five right now. So it's like peak cool. recession um vicky and don just renewed their vows and like alexis bolinos joined the cast so this is like kind of to paint a picture vicky is like very happy this season and not as funny i do think vicky thrives as a character on tv when she's under like incredible adversity i think so i think vicky though like she needs that adversity, but she needs to be to know how to like spin it. I just don't. Vicky has like I feel like there's two go to tools in her tool bag, and it's like have a hysterical breakdown or like somehow pivot the attention on like somebody else like in crisis and like put them in such a state of crisis that she can absorb like some kind of joy off of that. Yeah, and she can only kind of do that when she's got her head screwed on a little tighter. And I hope she's just a little bit more like the of like psycho Vicky instead of just like soul crushingly like sad vicky like i don't know like but the there's don't land as well when there's yeah like no I, behind the eyes i agree with that i also think she had long covid last season <laughs> like when she was a boyfriend like she was no i i mean this sincerely like i think she was like true on death's door that entire trip and i true i think she thought that 
she was going to die at the manor. So <laughs> I I do think she's going to be re-energized in that sense when she's in Morocco. Right. I, <laughs> I am excited to see her in a foreign environment like that. Like, I do yep. think Vicky in Morocco is a recipe for some sort of, like, international diplomatic incident, and I am excited yeah. to see that. Um, yeah, a crisis. <laughs> a true crisis. Um, okay, we have to move on to the next <laughs> scenario. My favorite topic of the week, and one that I almost messaged you about being like, how are you looped into this? We should make this the whole episode. Okay. <laughs> An author faked her own death to get oh. revenge on a rogue creative writing Facebook group. Ring the alarm. I am so, I, this is something I could give a TED talk on. Okay. Absolutely. As someone who, like, I totally, I hate literary Twitter. I hate the literary, like, yeah. online writing world. Um, It's weird that it's sort of necessary now. Um, But it's just mostly very earnest and people just, like, it's a lot of circle jerky Um. This is a particular niche that I've always, I've loved like like Facebook groups that are filled with like genre fiction writers who are all very like self-published oh, and like, yeah. they kind of just rely on each other to like buy each other's like Kindle 199 e-downloads. Oh my God. Um, and, and they're just like books in the style of Daniel Steele. So like when this blew up, I didn't know who this writer was, but I knew exactly who this audience was. I knew yeah. the, what the ripple effects would be. And I'm so glad you bring it up. Tell me it's <laughs> it's never anyone you've actually heard of like it's just the pro yeah. these facebook groups are so like entrenched and like have their own little micro cultures and there is always like a few people in each of these groups who like are one degree of separation away from like someone who's actually established and famous that like it does blow up in that sense like right th i think this is the second literary facebook group drama we have covered on this podcast um after What's the other one way Anna back Mardal? like to who Anna Mardal you, not that one either oh nope we're not talking about that no. um no okay. no 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 uh, we're talking <laughs> no I'm not that's too dark even for this podcast um I believe right. this was on an episode that friend of the pod Ali Hardebeck was on and it was that it was two summers ago there was that short story writer who wrote about this woman's like cancer journey sort of bad art friend yes bad art friend okay i knew it yes. has some like pithy title mm -hmm. but yes okay yeah yeah yeah. Yes. it was bad art friend yeah another truly stunning one yeah but this one's crazier so like for the yeah. for the audience at home who hopefully are not really super tapped into this because it is truly like a vortex of psychodrama like what happened here so like i kind of touched on these sort of like genre fiction worlds exist because the current like state of the literary world like it is sort of in crisis like there are giant presses all just like merging together um indie journals are both like collapsing at a rate that like places like the new york times are writing that like indie lit is dead while also there are so many fucking literary journals out there that like there's one dedicated to for from crohn's disease and that's not a punchline like that's a very real literary yeah. magazine so like, there's just all these micro niche worlds. Um, and you have a lot of people who have like built these indie presses under the guise of like being more, like being less gatekeepy. Um, when really the literary scene, just like any art scene is just like rife with like grifters. Mm -hmm. Enter yeah. like genre fiction, which is like a lot of people who like want to be writers, maybe like didn't pursue it from a professional or like academic route um think of writing kind of as like a get rich quick thing like they look at 
like Fifty Shades of Grey or The Hunger Games, and that aren't necessarily like literary <laughs> accomplishments, but got you know several <laughs> movie deals, and like those right. writers don't have to pick up a pen again. So they're all very like supportive of each other, and it's all sort of this. It's kind of like the same people who do like those live oyster, like open a pearl, like videos on TikTok, and like the yeah. crystal digging. It's like a cottage industry that sort of in hopes that like one day they'll make it big. This writer who had self-published a bunch of these just like Harlequin romance, Daniel Steele style, like awful romance pieces, um, was just always like online bemoaning, like not getting like support from other artists had like a facebook group that she ran like a fan group um called the ward i think and had all her like <sighs> most loyal fans in it and the she... ward it's so <laughs> it's so awful there is like a dramatic like touch point where like she gets bullied like and i can't really find that i haven't been able to find like the evidence of that online but ostensibly it's about like the quality of her writing that like she's not getting awards or like published by places because like it's just not that fucking good and so like a week goes by and on the ward they like the like her account posts that it's like her daughter and that like she like susan has committed suicide Mm -hmm. and um it was because of all the bullying and gatekeeping of the literary worlds and uh, like a few weeks later then she posts like we're trying to get my mom's book published like it was her dream to have it published before my wedding day like it's her final book. And so like they crowdfunded all this money both to publish the book, like get a run of it actually printed. And then like a GoFundMe for funeral expenses, this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and like two weeks ago, she popped up and was like, by the way, I'm not dead. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like kind of the whole, the whole shebang of it all. Yeah, a, a reveal for the ages. Like, right. well, And like kept the charade. It wasn't like, oh, she got locked up in her, because the the, what she's saying, her cryptic, like, I'm back message was that, like, it was her family who posted that and that, like, she was away and that she doesn't fault her family because that's what they had to do. Which, yeah. like, if you're, like, read the tea leaves, like, that's, like, she's suggesting that she got, like, locked up and, like, that her family just lied and so that she died hoping to, like, keep her off, like, and away from writing anymore. There's a lot to unpack there, I'm sure. I hope there's, like, a Gypsy Rose Blanchard-style, like, Hulu doc one day. I really hope so, because, like, Bad Art Friend was one thing. Like, that felt like, I mean, you know, there was more of, like, a philosophical argument underpinning, like, the real-world petty argument about, like, who gets to tell whose stories and, like, how far does creative license go and, like, fiction well, even, this even is like just like yeah. <laughs> soap opera bullshit like it's cr- I, so i pulled up the statement she made in in the ward um because it is one of the absolute craziest things i've ever seen and it must be said that like facebook is a place for crazy people i'm you know much love to anyone who's still on facebook and is an active participant i do hope you get well for this but, like, no yeah. no me this shit that's why i'm still active i'm still oh, in yeah. so many groups where weird shit like this pops up and i it fuels me it's scary but so <laughs> this post is entitled returning to the ward and this is the last um the last paragraph of her missive that she wrote on january 20 or january 2nd 2023 after uh two and a half years away in like a suicidal haze or whatever she did I debated on how to do this a million times and still not sure if it's right or not. 
there's going to be tons of questions and a lot of people leaving the group, I guess. But my family did what they thought was best for me, and I can't fault them for it. I almost died again at my own hand and had to go through all that hell again. Returning to the war doesn't mean much, but I'm in a good place now, and I'm hoping to write again. Let the fun begin. <laughs> That's... Let the fun begin. RuPaul cackle, like, cackle. like MP4, <laughs> like, play in the background. It's like, I need... <laughs> Ending a post in which you announce that you are back from the dead after faking your own suicide in, like, a dispute over, like ownership of this facebook group with a let the fun begin i mean it's it's like it's super villain behavior is what it like, is no notes <laughs> like I, like where was this kind of but here's my question like susan right it's susan isn't susan meachin which susan is like Meechan. a perfect name for a woman perfect. who would do this yep here's my question susan where was this kind of writing all along where was this plot where why didn't you write this story like i mean maybe this was the long game maybe she was like she watched gone girl one night and was like fuck like just decided she was gonna do like be that in like the like three penny literary romance world (laughs) like i gotta give it to her i do i think it was foolish of her like still be public because she's she is hinting that like her like she was sent away basically yeah but she was still publishing under a different name like she was still self-publishing under like tn steel yeah not only was she publishing under a different name she was a member of this very same facebook group (laughs) under the same name and became i believe at one point a mod of the group she offered to become a mod and like take it over when like the main mod had stuff going on in her life that is devious behavior like faking your death taking over like joining the memorial page for your death becoming so active that you get nominated to become the moderator of like the page for your own death like icon behavior and also like both collecting money for a funeral that never happened and uh her daughter daughter in quotes posted a link to purchase her final book which is called love to last a lifetime and encouraged people to like make it a bestseller in her honor psycho like it's it's truly a it's like a master class in like creating your own drama that i can only hope that she like takes into her like fiction writing you know like like if you can do this in real life like put pen to paper mama like let's get that's what i'm that's kind of what i'm saying like at this i hope she gets a a movie deal i mean I, i do you know what i what she did people can say it's horrible whatever there's a lot of like outrage like and it's certainly know. horrible like we're not you well, know this sure. you can behavior can be iconic and not be condoned at the same time like i would not uh, say uh, that most people should do this n- no i would not recommend to the listeners at home that they go do this um but i have to say like effective you know as oh, a, like i it's emotional terrorism yeah (laughs) yeah and it's like i watch toil and like the literary world's like trying to get like their books promoted and so much of it is like uh such like earnest like it's just like not something i want to engage in it's so much like a love your book pal want to blurb mine which like i just feel gross yeah so it's it's weird already but like she kind of did something that every writer is sort of bitching about online right now which is like how to get your name in everyone's mouths and it i'm i'm tuned in yeah we're tuned in (laughs) i don't know where this is gonna go from here because like the bad art friend people have not done anything of note since that whole incident maybe we are witnessing the birth of a literary superstar in susan meachin but like (laughs) i'm not i hope so too i'm not like hanging my hat on it but 
we could we could we'll have see. something on <laughs> star <Okay>. is born <laughs> final topic of the week and one that maybe can be applied to the last situation lizzo says that cancel culture is appropriative of marginalized communities are you ringing the alarm on this one no pass news okay i mean, I mean no we, we can talk no we can talk about it it is I'm kind like- of a snooze i think this was like decontextualized too much but i also wanted to talk about it because it's like i think she she's made a very interesting point here i so like one i think most conversations about cancel culture especially from people who are just like super rich and have like mega platforms (laughs) like i just don't it's just like kind of laughable it's talking about a boogeyman that doesn't necessarily exist for them. Yeah. Um, and it just like moves the conversation to such like a laughable place that like real conversations about like what is like inappropriate in the modern age, which is all like I think cancellation has like to um it just sort of like negates any sort of like real it just makes it kind of stupid. It makes it where every like nobody's a fan of cancel culture anymore. We've had like a cultural moment where I think everybody's like sort of tired of like yeah dogpiling on like the smallest like fuck ups that people are making. Um but then the Jordan Petersons of the world, you know? So like, yeah, I... it, it's like a delicate balance. Like I do, I think this was phrased not perfectly, but like, I right. do agree with her larger point that like, we do have to sort of focus on like the real issues here. And I think like, because we are older and like not in this like TikTok puritanical mindset, like right. I don't look at, like, maybe we have a little bit more, like, perspective on things. Like, I don't really look at TikTok comments because, like, you go into, like, comedy comedy videos or whatever and, like, see what people are saying. And it's, like, all these 16-year-olds being, like, a little crazy about what I would describe as, like, pretty mild humor. Right. Well, and what's kind of, like, unfortunate is, like, I am old enough to have been in, like, the tumblr days like pre-yahoo purchase like where like the discourse first started like debut of steven universe like yeah that time bomb <laughs> of just like cultural like cultures m- mixing online and able yeah. to like, talk to each other and develop like fake discourse ideas that they like pass off as fucking like bell hooks <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, no i like one of the <laughs> core tenets of this podcast is if you were online in the Tumblr era, you are a veteran. <laughs> like yeah, you have no. you have served, like maybe not protected, <laughs> but like you've definitely well, attacked. But, like, back then it's like the internet sort of at that time period. Like, I mean, my focus on the internet, like as like a gay like child, like with an access to a laptop at like way too young of an age. I times between like very weird niche like message board forums, um, yeah. and like Tumblr. And it's kind of unfortunate i feel for like kids my youngest sister is 10 years younger than me so we have like the like geriatric millennial gen z like college relationship yeah so to see like how she's experienced the internet and like there are kind of no dark corners of the internet to hide in anymore and like this and sort of be rotten um and then become super like virtuous um which i think a lot of us had like we had chances to be like both like horrible on the internet and then also like over virtue signaling like to try to like gain that sort of clout when that was big and on the rise um and so i think a lot of us like went through that and sort of it's just like a little more tiring now and these kids are like that was just the start of it like that discourse has just like continued to like they've continued to like get to excavate further down the iceberg which i think like a lot of uh set of certain ages are like "Mm -hmm, no i'm fine like (laughs) like we 
we so excavated in different ways too like i yeah. do think like the ways in which we were provoked on the internet were mostly from like a taste and aesthetics level almost like for sure and like yeah. and i think for better or worse like online discourse has been a lot more about like morality like social values like treating True. each other with kindness and respect which i think are all you know in a vacuum good positive things but like totally because you're not actually learning these values from like an instructive or even constructive platform like you're you don't really know how to like wield all the like, <laughs> like kindness that you're you're trying to like, bring into the world for sure well i think it's also like that's the thing is like i guess like as I'm like getting older, as I've like made it through my return of Saturn and like I'm approaching mm -hmm. 30, I'm like graced with all this like newfounds like appreciation for them. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, it is, it's like, if I remember being that age and thinking I, I like just know everything. Like I, that something I read on the internet totally my viewpoint of the world and I need to tell everybody about it. And like, I remember being like irritated by like, people who are older who are just sort of like not as like infuriated as me and that's sort of a thing you realize the older you get that like people know like this isn't like it's this isn't lost knowledge <laughs> on anyone um it's that like for better or worse people like as they get older like care in less ways or niche in special ways and stop valuing like the performance of like caring and kids these days just don't have a chance to like age out of that in privacy like it's just yeah. all on display constantly and sort of the rest of us i think are like and then you also just have like loser adults who like are following that as well. I think that that's like there are a lot of loser adults doing this, and like the yeah. loser adults definitely know better because like I think what Lizzo is trying to say here is that like the like quote unquote cancel culture is like an expression of like outrage and backlash that historically has typically been reserved for like truly egregious offenses that are like right physically or emotionally cruel. Right. Whereas now there's no moderation to anything or like just like modulation, like pitch and tone of things like totally. I think she's not I think saying it's appropriative of marginalized communities is not. Great phrasing, yeah. <laughs> like I think that is clumsy phrasing and like you're just throwing another buzzword in there and appropriative that like it doesn't really belong there but like right i do think it like detracts from like serious things when like people are doing that which is like i think like the more like interesting conversation that like i i just would be more like inclined to tune in when we talk about cancel culture if we spoke about it as just like a very like expected and like easy to understand <clears throat> phenomena that's rising out of like the next era of human development and evolution which is like we are on the a truly like globalist society like we're on the brink of making those decisions of like how do we spend the next hundred years like that's right. sort of like humans are at that like breaking point where we're going to have to start making hard decisions in the next like 30 years which is like going to of course like fan the most radicalized thought on like all fronts so we're seeing more public what we would consider like heinous like speech mm. um because when like there's a platform for that because like and this isn't defending it this isn't to say like people are globalism so like that's fine like use the n-word like that's not that's not at all it's no. just like this is a very real reaction and sometimes i feel like the left doesn't like get that and just gets like kind of like lost in the trenches of like what i sort of like performance art <laughs> and not yeah. like 
where the actual like temperature of the nation of like the globe is or like of most people is yeah like maybe focus a little less on like social transgressions and focus more on like social progress like i think that's like restorative justice and those those two do go hand in hand but like i i feel like people get bogged down so much instead of like moving forward a little bit and and i think it's also like cancel culture and like the idea of like like so like like it's so funny the people who like and i'm somebody who considers themselves abolitionist i think that like moving towards like a system that is not built on like punishment is like great so like the idea of dogpiling like it's fun and there there are obviously like (laughs) i participate fully um but the idea of like a cancel culture where we are like taking like punitive measures somebody for something like as simple as like a clumsy phrasing or like yeah and there's a difference between that and egregious like acts of like racism yeah and... like actual like bigotry <laughs> like, and yeah no that, that right. totally <laughs> totally makes sense to me um uh, yeah i um, and i like i i also would like to just like give Lizzo some credit here too in general because like I do think she has done a lot for like acceptance positivity like I I, like we talked on the podcast a few months ago about how her like music especially the new album is like very like slogany like very generic positive affirmations but like yeah that is helpful for a lot of people and like just be like you know I don't find a lot of like musical merit in a lot of what she has done over the past like two years. But I do think that like, you know, it's nice to see someone making like fun pop music that a lot of people listen to that also is just like very like, you know, sweet and uh, cuddly and accepting. And like, that's a good way to like, you know, not... I'm not about to say an awful (laughs) phrase, but be the change you want to see in the world. Like if you want people to like (laughs) do... Like, love that quote <laughs> if you want people to like you know love each other in art like make art that is loving i guess i don't know right and it's like a tired like i mean there's like obviously the very easy like lizzo hate train which is like this is like wellness pop it's like instagram blog people infographics about mental illness and like loving each other you know there's like yeah. it's like a genre that has sort of cropped up out of that like that sort of like buzzwordy like people love firmed like on social media through these very like neutral non-offensive like you are deserving uh, sort of like affirmations and that's not necessarily a bad thing like that again is like examples of like a culture like deeply unwell like seeking out something that like they're not receiving in their life and like the fact that the market is so huge for that means that like there's a huge demand yeah. so like i get it i lizzo pop is not for me it's not what i'm like jamming out to but like love that she is providing a service to like all the gays that work in healthcare you know yeah <laughs> gay, gay gays who are at a cbs um yeah. like yep. <laughs> and we are often at cbs's so like yeah like that that all works for me and i mean i will say this too like i've seen her live several times like not recently but like right. like in the 2015 to 2019 time period when her music was like i mean fun and accepting but also like not as like hitting your hitting mm. you over the head with it as it kind of is right now totally. but like um and it was fun it was a great show like everyone was having a good For time sure. and like it's nice to just be at a show where everyone is having like a very good time so well and she's like a performer like she's so oh she's, she's like a genius performer. talented yeah <laughs> like, and like there's no doubt about it and not i am gonna out myself as a weekly snl viewer still just because it's like one of those okay. habits that i've had for years and years and years and i will just never break right. at this point she is screamingly funny and like was a perfect like she sh- could be a, like in movies like pretty regularly and have it like a great oh, I buy it. That, so i completely buy it for sure and it like 
it's just nice that you know she's a complete entertainer much yes. like some of the people we're about to discuss in this week's oh, cultural boy. emergency andrew what are you rushing to the er today i uh it is really it's a cultural emergency i guess like the we're going to talk about like a few cultural emergencies that like have culminated in like the ultimate one which is maddie's um, that's like the emergency I want to talk about today. Yes. Maddie Ziegler, <laughs> for those who do not know, the one of the stars of the hit reality TV show Dance Moms, who became mm-hmm. a muse for Australian pop sensation Sia. And then mm-hmm. now, um, well, I guess she kind of got canceled herself for playing an autistic teen named Music in the Sia-directed film Music. So, Musical. Yeah, yes. musical. So we're we're hitting on a lot of things today. Um, yeah. So a lot of cultural are, icons. So how did you like first get to know Maddie Ziegler? Uh, definitely dance moms. Okay. I um was a dance kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my mom and I were like glued to that show the minute it could. I, admittedly, was not. My mom did like classical ballet. I was in ballet as a kid. I also did like competitive Irish step dance. oh wow okay right so different worlds completely and like to the extent that like i don't know that kind of world within the dance scene there is sort of like inter genre drama um between like classical styles and like competitions based on that like true competitions and scholarships and then sort of like the dance squad like abby lee sort yeah. of thing which is not like really it's it's kind of grifty it's a lot of like you're paying a lot of money to like go and compete at these things and then maybe win which like real competitions you're not really like paying to compete at like you're competing you're competing in regionals to get to states to then get to national so there is sort of my mom and I did watch it with like a little bit like a sneer um I think that those girls are incredibly talented I became a true fan they are and like like, (laughs) they are very talented like that let's just say that right now because between like Maddie Ziegler and I mean, more famously, Jojo Siwa, like we do have yeah. some like shining lights of like. Oh, like Chloe. I mean, like truly like a yeah. lot of stars. Like, tr- and I, I mean, my, like the smirk on my face was wiped off like within like a few seasons of watching that show. Like those girls, it like broke that kind of world open to me, but did also like the reason people tuned in was like, yeah, that those are the kind of moms that like exist in the dance moms world. And like that world, like very kind of just ugh, like, no, like day class A, you know, yeah. just not, <laughs> not how you I... want to be. I have to out myself as not a Dance Moms watcher, mm-hmm. um, but I have seen You're so lucky. clips and <laughs> clips and clips because of Abby Lee Miller and like just her fighting with like, oh, like the moms fighting. Like it's always the the stage moms that yeah. get the re- uh, like real estate and camera time on that show. And I'm kind of surprised that like more shows haven't, tapped into like the stage mom of it all because it's such a fascinating dynamic that makes for really good yeah. TV. It's, it's dark, there's good, but it's there's good. great. I mean, any kind of documentaries about like the dance world are so kind of intense yeah. to be to kind of thrive as like a dance kid, you do need like a pair like anybody who really wants to make it, you need one of at least one of your parents to be totally 100 percent in on you. And like that's you the two like the two of you are going to share that bond until one of you, you know, hates each other. And there's just no so there's like one called Jig. It's about like Irish step dancing. That one's really good. You see the stage yeah. parents. The dance world is really rife with it. Um, but Maddie, I mean, like a star from minute one, like snatching huge trophies at like four or five, six. Um, so I became very into like the Maddie Ziegler of it all. Yeah. 
um, and was a stan, um, and then enter Sia. Yeah. How did this happen? Because so this is this is where my knowledge, yeah. like, contemporary contemporary knowledge, really tapped in. Because in 2014, I saw the chandelier video. Like I think I was right at the tail end of like my freshman year of college, and sure. I was in a, a very dark place. That was like <laughs> arguably my life's low point. Was like that like spring into summer chandelier and the associated music video in which maddie's eagle it's like a one-take video in which she's doing like an interpretive dance it had me in a chokehold like complete yeah like and i still think like the vi- well i still think the song is like pretty close to a masterpiece and like sia's last like great song to yeah. me but like the video i rewatched before this and i had some mixed thoughts so what do you think? Right. Um, my reaction was the same to Elastic Heart. Yeah. Um, and I think this just speaks to like Sia's sort of like nefarious like ability to, <laughs> I don't know, like parasitically inject herself in major cultural moments. Yeah, for, like, and that's, that's a good Somehow. word for it. It is nefarious. Like <laughs> She is in, like she has been there for some of like the biggest like pop cultural kind of like moments. The Renaissance of Shia LaBeouf. Like, I think of the Elastic Heart music video, which I had that, you know, reaction to. And, like, that was kind of the moment that put Shia back on, like, people's radars a little bit outside of, like, yeah. Transformers. It's like, a, oh, performer. De-. And, like, I mean, look where that got us. So thank you very much. I'm not saying she is responsible for what came to be with Shia LaBeouf, but... Yeah. I but... would blame Shia... I would blame Sia in, like, a court of law. I would. I would pin that on her. <laughs> I mean, that was like, <laughs> a would. very, like, pivotal era for Shia, too, because, like, yes. <laughs> that music video and the Nymphomania in uh, Lars mm-hmm. Rancher's Nymphomaniac, in which he, like, is one of the co-leads, I guess. Like, that was kind of his rebranding from, like, Disney slash Transformers star to, like, someone doing interesting art house and, like, creatively challenging kind of things well and it's like their relationship like they're like him abusing her him going on to like abuse twigs like they're so she's like she's got these like moments in pop and there's multiples like we could talk about like all these moments that she's been there for um and i guess what just like it's just like from the beginning i've always just seen she has just like a little like inauthentic (laughs) in that her big like the big wig era the, the like, big wig see, era this like this is one of my favorite things to talk about because uh, like I, I we talk about like her inauthenticity like I so like for those who may not remember like Sia during this period from like 2014 to like 2017 more or less was yeah. hiding her face and head sometimes underneath like a series of outlandish black and blonde wigs that and and sometimes she would have like avatars like do the performance for her while she would Mm. hide um and but the beginning of this was the chandelier music and she's it was the chandelier music video and like it was maddie ziegler in like the same wig doing the dancing but this was also she did this because she had performance anxiety was that well so that's, that's just it, it sort it of changed so she yeah. sort of like shapeshifted her answer a few times that like it was because of performance anxiety that um she wanted to remain privacy like one of her favorite stories i tell is that like she was hanging out with a close dear friend who was 
explaining that like she was diagnosed with cancer and a fan came up and asked to take a photo with her and like that's when she's like you know that's just enough I had enough so I wanted to obscure my face with a giant wig when I'm in public yeah. talking to my friend with cancer um so she says it's for, for privacy but like the history of CF we're truly going to like examine it under a cultural lens um she like up until titanium had fired like three of her managers because she was upset about the promotion of like her previous albums even though the promotion of one of those albums included like breathe me playing on the finale of uh HBO which, Six Feet Under, which incredible song incredible and then launched, song. right and launched her like first like kind of like american tour to support that then fired that manager right got a little bit of buzz decided that she didn't want to be a pop star that she wanted to be like a pop star like songwriter yeah um sent out titanium to david Guetta. he kept her demos it was originally meant for i think alicia keys something like that and, yeah and david kept got and she, that was her complaint was like i didn't even know that my vocals were going to be kept in it which like i just don't i don't i don't like buy that necessarily no um, and so again, she's like, I just wanted to be a, I wanted to be a songwriter. But then we lead into <laughs> what is like her most like performative like album cycles, like her biggest. She was everywhere for the next like three years, so yeah. it just rings as like a little, I don't know, strange um, and like a, a creation of a character. This is also like in the like nuclear winter of like Lady Gaga, just like kind of fucking up what all the rules of like a pop star were. Yeah. So you have like everybody walking on runways with like you know. Muppets and I'm just not convinced that Sia I think Sia did that and instead of dropping that act like the rest of the pop queens did after a year she just kind of like doubled down and was like no no this is just who I am now I just wear big ugly fucking wigs it but like it worked like she was ubiquitous during that three-year stretch and she had like a ton of hits and a lot and I will say a lot of the music is like pretty solid like Chandelier fantastic Elastic Love Fantastic or no, Elastic Heart. I'm sorry, Elastic yeah. Love is the Christina Aguilera song for Bionic. <laughs> Elastic Heart, I think, very close to a perfect song. And like even Cheap yeah. Thrills is like cute, fine, whatever. Yeah, cute. But like for sure. the wig went on for so long and the performances kept getting like it was so redundant. Like I remember that summer of 2014 when the concept was still a novel to cross over to girls room my other like podcast venture like she had Linda Dunham on um I believe yeah. it was like some it was like Jimmy Fallon or something like that and like Sia sang it face down at a bunk bed while Lena Dunham danced around right it's like boo you know I just well, I at the time that's another <sighs> thing I watched before this video and was like oh my god like this is crazy and like imagine like Lena Dunham in 14 in 2014 like was at her lowest like cultural fatigue everyone was like get her out of here even though i mean she's a genius and like life has um right reframed her so well these days but like right. i this was like not a good look for lena dunham it was not a great look for sia but it was also like sort of artistic in a way that like youtube dance videos were back then like this was like right like dance studio tutorial kind of so you think you can dance but like you could do it at home kind of thing totally this totally. is every all of the live performances from that gave that and it was maddie z it's also maddie ziegler's fault like it is I, because her <laughs> well... choreography is very similar <laughs> across all these performances for sure and like the maddie ziegler of it so sia discovered maddie through like dance moms and just yeah. like felt like she tapped into like the child sia which like this era was all about Sia, like kind of like healing her in her childhood with a lot of like child avatars, like 
this tour, she like stood at the back and like it was Maddie Ziegler every night, like leading a, a troop of dancers, like through little while Sia sang. So the immediate like red flags in my head. The reason that like Sia has, I've just always been a little wary of this woman. Oh, <laughs> yeah. just like it's weird. Um, it's it's it's, it's strange. It's weird a little, behavior. It's, it's a little self-important. It's a little like fabricated to the like. I'm not happy. I'm not big enough. I'm not a big enough pop star yet. The minute you get like not like two albums in, she's done two world tours. Like the minute she really launches, she's like, mm, nope, you're not going to see my face anymore. And I'm going to like child on tour with me and have them and that's i am somebody that like i feel a certain this is a whole nother conversation about like child labor laws in the entertainment industry sure that is a whole other <laughs> like, conversation there's yeah. there's so much so like a lot of sia's just like stuff just like rings very like hot and like just not thought out i just she strikes me as somebody who like sits there and gets an idea and is like we're doing it and just yeah. goes for it without really examining like if she should or like well and that's how we get that. music you know <laughs> music, the movie music that is. not her music music <laughs> I will, and I will defend Maddie Ziegler to the extent that, like, as somebody who was, like, peripheral to the dance world, um, well, for two reasons. I think anybody who, like, ends up pursuing dance kind of to, like, degree, like, homeschooled, like, high pressure plus reality show, you're going to end up a little, like, uh, you're going to have similar social cues or social understandings, understandings, I think, to where people could accurately say that you've had a similar life experience or, like, have similar experience in public to some autistic people maybe not to the degree that maddie was displaying it in that movie yeah it, it um, must be said for like, people who are not aware of this maddie ziegler plays an autistic teen in this movie like a, which is like a severely autistic teen like me yes. like she's like mute or like selectively i don't know i have not seen she's nonverbal. yeah she's she's yeah. nonverbal. um she her drug ex-drug dealer sister um has to take care of her like has her like their grandma dies now she has to take care of her and very necessary to note that uh said sister is played by kate hudson who is in her <laughs> mid-40s and kate hudson has bad instincts too like absolutely she just I mean, announced that she's releasing an album that is co-produced by sia um so like let's let's you know that's going to be the subject of a future episode for sure for sure is. but like kate hudson and sia are like sisters they're just yeah i think they're kind of like Mm. well-intentioned white women uh, who like did an ayahuasca retreat once and it changed their motherfucking life yeah, they're like, they're caftan women like they yeah, they love absolutely. they're they love they're just like free boho spirit people and absolutely like, they don't get haircuts they get like hair rituals done with yeah. like quartz combs you know like <laughs> yeah that's they have that kind of like level of delusion where like every day like what we consider like maintenance activities like are Titled, they're like, preservation you know they're I mean? like little rituals yeah. like rituals. rituals everything's a ritual yeah. like taking out the trash is a ritual that's like a cleansing ritual yeah so that's so and fi- i mean you know what i live for those women i'm very oh no i love myself. kate hudson i love I kate do hudson too. so i like, don't see a see i'm a little more like i kind of want to i'm i'm sort of like get a job stay away from her it like, is get a job Hudson. stay away from her like imagine <laughs> imagine for a second if let's say lady gaga at the beginning of her career picked melania judice out of a lineup and said her i want her to be my muse like that would be odd wouldn't it 
I kind of, I guess the difference is like, because it's Lady Gaga, I'd be interested to see where that goes. Right. I guess with the benefit of high, well, like it's it would hard also, to like take off those glasses. It would be like Gaga <laughs> in space. Like Melania would be like left in like a crate somewhere for like three years. Like we would, it, we, there would be like a pressure. She's in the egg. We would never see Melania, <laughs> right. It's like, Melania's just like in like a warehouse in New Jersey and like, hello. <laughs> like, <laughs> She's just flying around on like the art pop like hover dress all day, like <laughs> just like waiting for Completely. someone to pick her up. Like oh. right. But see this sort of like weird obsession with Maddie. I mean, I don't know, like whatever. I it gave Maddie like a platform for sure. It that movie, I think like the problems <laughs> with the many problems besides the fact that like I, I don't know. I just don't think like I don't know. It's a failure on multiple fronts. I, there were multiple people who had to sign off on this. The first of them being the person that Sia first told, like, I'm writing a musical about autism. Whoever did not immediately say, like, hey, girl, let's like, let's go sit down. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you, actually, because that's a major fucking red flag. I, I just think it is for any I think it person. is, too. And she, like, defended this movie to like to its grave like this was a ginormous flop like she like tripled down on like you know casting maddie in like a neurodivergent role like this and like right she she i think last year said that like the press around the movie made her want to like unalive herself or whatever like tiktok kids are saying these days like it's yes she blamed her relapse on it she said that like she relapsed because of the press surrounding that movie which again like i'm so sorry to see that i contributed to your relapse because i was one of the loudest voices online making fun of you um so like uh, you know i i'll say hail mary for you but um it does feel i don't know it, that feels again like getting to like talk about ca- like cancel culture cancel like Sia wasn't canceled she's like a multimillionaire. she oh could... and she's yeah she's like commercially like critically fine like she's still making music and like I'm sure if she wanted to make another movie she probably could too like oh, I'm sure as somebody who, like fine. I was a, I was a visual merchandiser for Urban Outfitters for years after that fucking holiday album like album of hers dropped it plays incessantly yeah. every holiday season it's, no I, all it's of everywhere stories. it's everywhere that money alone is going to keep her rich so like her kind of pinning like very valid cultural critiques about like multiple things that went wrong with that movie like the use of restraints on like a nonverbal autistic person which like anybody who yeah like does really like research speaks to people within like an autistic community it's like yes even though there are sometimes where like restraints are used like when you have a movie that is like showcasing like a non-violent autistic person why and why would you portray that like why would you feed into these negative stereotypes that like the conversation has been trying to move away from another i mean talk about like total um ally to the autistic movement icon jacqueline larita yeah Mm-hmm. I think it showcases really well how you can like talk about autism in a way that is like yeah. very eye-opening to like parents and like does enter the conversation without like leaning into the awful stereotypes of like this is a struggle or this is like a curse and like yeah and so what like uh, the premise of the movie is like music that's Maddie Ziegler's in it um like is nonverbal, but like imagines these like really intense like pastel hued dance sequences throughout yeah. it where then like she's dancing and it does sort of like hinge again on the idea of like oh a neurodivergent person with like a hidden incredible talent yeah like- she's like a magical <laughs> like and like a magical like neurodivergent or a magical like physically disabled person is like such a trope in hollywood and like mm. 
this is just right this movie should i like this movie would be like offensive and misguided in any era but like especially these days like you really have to have like myopia about like your own like creative genius and creative process to like think that something like this was gonna fly and like i i mean we talked this the whole premise of this podcast is that like famous people have like broken brains but like this was like an especially (laughs) truly this was like an especially mind-boggling decision well like heinous and it's and that's like maddie ziegler's whole deal is that like i guess like i just don't hold that girl very responsible for many things one because like she has been on like a national stage since like she could walk like her first ability to like perform for others um and that's what she's been like rewarded with her whole life she's like was a child through so much of this yeah and like she went from like one kind of abusive state like you have her stage mom mom, then you have abby lee who did not put those girls in the best circumstances no abby like abby lee it's a miracle jojo siwa is as well adjusted as she is because like going well and just going through that whole environment seems like a nightmare it seems like pageant adjacent very like you're really prioritizing like little girls like bodies and physicality and that's such a like you know like you shouldn't be like creepy like it's creepy and it also teaches people bad lessons i think like not to get i don't want to get like overly moralistic but like i just don't (laughs) think that's like a good thing to place on a child you know like i don't think so Right. And it's a and miracle that like, that, like, they see... Like, Maddie Ziegler seems, like, pretty well-adjusted, too. Like, all things considered. I, think I I agree. I That girl seems booked and busy. I hope that she she's, like, pivoting to an acting career. And people have been, like, pretty open to it. Like, I mean, like, you know. Well, so Listen, she has been in I'm two... Running, I'm running PR interference. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, we have, we have a stand-up. I'm running PR like, interference um, <laughs> She has starred now in two of what are widely regarded as two of the worst movies in recent history between music and the book of Henry, right. uh, which was a catastrophic flop and which she plays, I believe like an abused teen or something, but like it, there's magic in it too. It sounds, it sounds, it's dreadful. not great. Um, it's not great. Admittedly. But she was also in like West side story, which I haven't seen yet. She was. But, like that's supposed to be good. And she fine. she was in a school shooting movie with Jenna Ortega that was supposed to be really good too. But like Jenna Ortega is obviously having a moment right now, and Maddie Ziegler right. is just you know she's Maddie Ziegler, and that's fine. I'm and sure she's fine. big on TikTok. I'm sure she's got a huge following. I mean, I'm not like a stand, and then I follow this girl's movement. I guess it's that like yeah. from the beginning, a lot of those seeing those dance mom girls like all kind of really deciding to like soft launch their new careers with like the downfall of abby lee was like great i was like okay these girls aren't so like zombified by like a career and having like their child labor exploited yeah um that like they're so poisoned that like they can't that they won't have career. it seems like a lot of those girls are doing very very fine and like are breaking into the mainstream and you know making money which i'm happy about i hope that those girls continue to make money i hope that sia doesn't ever make another dollar <laughs> she, she is gonna I, like every dollar she earns from here on out is royalty money that she should have to pay like restitution on right restitution, um except yeah. chandelier money keep that because that is good song and breathe me money get get breathe that me money for her yeah yeah absolutely i don't want us listen i don't want this to like 
uh, like online conversation where we like scrub the final episode of Six Feet Under of like Breathe Me. I like oh no, and they replace it, it with like uh, God. Lizzo. It drives me crazy <laughs> when <laughs> no, but that's what Lizzo songs that could be cute. But like, imagine if the end of Six Feet Under features like about damn time or something. <laughs> that's what like, like it's just juice. too you know a very chew. <laughs> So like funny. as she's driving like that's what i said like every time like a body drops it's just like <laughs> just starts they again. should they should replace um every like final montage or like end credit sequence of like the greatest finales in tv history with juice like the sopranos <laughs> ends like okay i have one final question for you uh-huh. about maddie ziegler and it's okay. a quick quiz question Okay. Maddie Ziegler wrote the foreword to Abby Lee Miller's memoir, Everything I Learned About Life I Learned in Dance Class. How old was Maddie Ziegler when she wrote the foreword to Abby (laughs) Lee Miller's book? Eight? Higher. You got one more guess. Oh, okay. Twelve. Ding, ding, ding. 12 okay. years old and you're writing the foreword for your like 60 year old like abuse yeah. memoir. Like 100%. This woman deserves like, like she she needs to be made like award in the state. Like, <laughs> they need to like, like the, the president needs to make sure that she is taken care of like financially, mentally, emotionally. <laughs> um for the rest of maddie's life. act like yeah we need, like a maddie's act <laughs> like like maddie's we, act. yeah i know i feel like that's what that's that's why like maddie ziegler's whole deal i think could be like just summarized by like insanely talented girl uh, who like learned at a young age to just like say yes and that's like very sad but has given us like some of sia's biggest like flop like without maddie would we have had we wouldn't have had sia's greatest like successes or her greatest flops no. and so for that I'm thankful for Maddie Ziegler. I eternally thankful for Maddie Ziegler. <laughs> and like we will, we will always have some pieces of like very interesting yet questionable art from her. And most yeah. people can't say that. So most people can't say that. That you know what that is. She has certainly made a mark. Oh, I just oh, we gotta leave this behind. But she's okay. in a Todd Recall <laughs> music video too. No, okay, we're not enough. Gonna, nope, that's nope, we're different. not talking nope. touching that. All right, I so <laughs> Andrew, we are going to move on to our final segment. We're going to play yeah. tear the community apart. <laughs> okay, great. So we've done a lot of that tonight. But like we're, I think I think this it. should be a little a little bit more sedate. Hopefully, the oh, rules wait, of this what? game are very simple. I've picked two songs, and you're going to tell me which one is better. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. The I'm just one owl. Hello. Yeah, can you hear me? I can. Sorry. Oh my gosh. A technical okay. issue. No, I, I, it's fine. It's sometimes like the sheer force of podcasting we just did. They're like, Spotify's like, don't do this. Like, like we're yeah. taking your mic away. Like, yeah. Sia's in like the server. She's like cutting the cord. <laughs> she's right like, now. she's like, um, Megan Turway into like my computer somehow. <laughs> yeah. Like taking over my Zoom. Um, right. Okay. So, to repeat the rules of this are very simple i've picked two songs and you're going to tell me which one is better so hyper pop is a genre that is very annoying we know this now but in there was a brief shining moment from 2015 to like 
early 2019 when it wasn't so annoying and when like everyone and their little cousin wasn't making hyper pop music absolutely thankfully that moment seems to have passed but like i would argue that from the beginning from like when one of these songs was released to when the other song was released okay (laughs) it was acceptable to do this and i do think both of these songs are like perfect encapsulations of the genre and like things that are like deeply influential songs which song is better room room by charlie xcx okay or money machine by 100 gex money machine by 100 gex whoa okay that was not (laughs) what i was expecting right throwing you a curveball there that is a curveball I will, this is where I will truly um, tear the community apart or really just like tear my chances of ever finding like love in the gay community apart. But um, I was like a Charlie XCX hater until very recently. Okay. Like, very, very recently. Interesting. That's um, like the reverse of what most people did, I feel like. <laughs> right. Um, I found her fan base just incredibly annoying to the point of like not being able to listen to her music without like suffering a mild like stroke. Um. But I mean, she got me with like how I'm feeling right now. I think it's, yeah, like the COVID album kind of got me. She she got me with that. Um, I don't really like Broom Broom. I don't like the lyrics. I don't really, I mean, like the beat part is cute, but I I don't encourage songs that um, encourage audience participation. And that little beat beep has given every single like homosexual who can't dance, like confidence to like lean back and all as a crowd do it. And I just can't, I'm sorry. Like if I'm out, I, like I think drop that, that- like, Todrick Hall choreo at home. I don't like to see nope. it. He's responsible for that. So yeah, 100 Gex, um, Money Machine. I, I think that's a really reasonable barrier to set, a boundary to set. <laughs> I'm like a little, ta- I like almost taken aback, but like I, <laughs> I do agree with everything you've just said. It's just like maybe I like as someone who can dance and still does the beep beep thing sometimes too like I do feel like targeted by this but like I do also agree that like this is behavior I can examine and work on within myself and that's growth that's growth Um, that's growth and I fall victim of it too and I think that's it's a little bit of like self-hatred you know like like internalized homophobia I have towards Charlie and like I said I've come around um I think she's like a, a queen like I think she's great um but I don't know I thought like 100 decks even though I'm like kind of tired of like that sound now yeah that, I remember, that like, sound has listen- not aged super well no but I remember like listening to that and just being like oh this is cool like this is cool this is fun and that was um when you said like the start of hyperpop I really was thinking that you were gonna like <laughs> ask about like Hannah Di- like Hannah Diamond <laughs> like, so we, we've really- talked about like Hannah Diamond and Sophie and like early Danielle Harley mm-hmm. like on this podcast before it's been a long time but like the you know, that felt like its own different thing. Like, hyperpop to me felt yeah. very much like once pop, like actual like pop, well, Char- I mean, Charlie XX is like a pop star for like gays, but like not like, you know, broad, broad, more broadly, not so much. But like the, once it started getting like more mainstream, that's when I felt like the PC music to hyperpop yeah. pipeline like really turned on. For sure, like, definitely. But like, there's so much. I think once hyperpop turned into like the new emo, yeah, that's when it got really bad. Well, because you have like Laura Less, right? Like you yeah. have like her getting featured in Euphoria, like, and that song is like kind of the same thing. It's that sort of like music that sort of like defies being like enjoyable. Like it, like its whole point 
like a like you can like rock to it like you can fuck with it but it's like also like a little like painful to listen to like it's yeah. not it's like discordant which is like fun um but it's I think like as like a culture it was just like a flash in the pan kind of moment I don't think like we will be listening to the influences of that in the years to come I don't think so either and like I I do feel kind of bad for 100 gex a little bit because like so I mean they it's been four years since they released their last album right and in that four years like obviously so much like has happened but like a lot of like I mean art is completely different than it was four years ago and like the internet works really differently and like all the like little kids who were really into that and four years later are like kind of I'm not grown up but like you know what I mean like it's not for sure like that audience has aged into something different so like they just came back with a three song mini EP and a lot of it sounded really tired and stale like I think that there's not really a place like move to like that was just like kind of like a static aesthetic in the same degree that like I mean like we can talk about like the flop of like Marina Diamandas like a failure to like evolve a sound and like being stuck in like a certain like aesthetic space that like you can't navigate past (laughs) um and so like yeah I feel for them I think it's like I would love to draw like a parallel from like them to like Purity Ring who I felt like when I was like kind of at like age it felt like that kind of music like weird I mean definitely more like woo woo and like vibey and not as yeah. like harsh. more melodic yeah like but like definitely stuck in an era and like every time purity releases like something new like they had their long hibernation it was kind of like it was unfortunate that it was like oh it's just more purity ring yeah. the bonus of it is is that like that sound was never so like i guess like obnoxious to the degree that like no. i like i still have purity ring on like a lot of my playlists same and like it's it was recognizably synth pop even in 2012 like it's not right. like it's not like they were inventing some like new genre and like i mean i'm not saying that 100 gex is either but like that at least that was really novel but it was also really stuck in like 2019 like my analog for them has always been skrillex like dubstep era skrillex oh yeah for sure which that like you go back like skrillex has made a pretty good career for himself and is like doing kind of interesting production even to this day even he's like sanded down his sound a little bit and like moved into like generic deep house but like that at least is like gonna give you a working career. You go back and listen to the dubstep stuff from like 2011, though, and it has aged so poorly. Like, but the weird thing about that is that there's still like a thriving like appreciation for that like oh specific type of dubstep. Like in like the festival circuits in like Burning Man worlds, like there are still like stages and like like packed with people who are coming to see exactly that kind of like harsh dubstep sort of like 2012 mountain dew call of duty vibe but like have they heard Sophie? well i guess i mean sophie can't like you know sophie's not making new music necessarily but like so i feel like the like pc music sound is like a refinement of that that feels a lot more like timeless somehow like skrillex feels very like it's like cavemen were playing with like stone axes or whatever and now we have like right lasers but there is like an asmr cut. effect like with his music that like sure. people who attend it live like i think go to for that specific like feeling that you get from like his like heavy like screechy like i mean it's yeah. not my vibe but like it's so that culture is still there whereas like i don't think that like 100 gex is going to be like like good luck booking that stage you speak of like no, i don't totally. i don't see them like having like a culture still follow even 
even with people being like, yeah, it's dated, but it's something I love. I just don't. I mean, we've seen like the success of like, we were young tour. Well, I mean, temperance. Or success. yeah, like the pop punk stuff. Like, right. But the, like the people, pop like, punk is still at least rooted in like, 80s rock and then like 90s grunge like there there have been like permutations of that sound like for 40 years every decade just like kind of going well, in I think and out like 100 gex like pulls like from like some some musical history i just think like it was so specific to like its time period that like there's yeah. not one and again and like when i mentioned like purity ring is sort of like the i it, it would be like their foil i guess is that like purity ring had like a, a unique sound and like hasn't really moved on past that but they at least made something that was like a little more rooted in like musicality. So like I'll return to it. They yeah. like kind of can't, so that's more of like a success rate. You can, you can do something very like aesthetically unique to where like you kind of can't grow out of it and people can still appreciate it. I don't see how <laughs> Andrew Gex like goes where they are without dropping act completely. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And like, it definitely feels like the people that they... Like, their solo work, obviously, is very, you know, it was, like, very well-received. But, like, I feel like they got kind of established in the mainstream and, like, got, they signed a major label deal, yeah. like, after working with, like, people like Charlie, like, and Dylan Brady's, yeah. like, done sound mixing for, like, Blink and a bunch of other bands. Like, well, it, it took, like, some is... co-signs to do that. But yeah. even Charlie's left that song, that sound behind. Right. Well, I think that's, like, that era of music was just, like, so... I don't know, interesting and like of its era, like the sort of like COVIDian, uh, <laughs> like TikTok sound to like radio pipeline that like it has now been like established and it's like a like whole fork in the like, or a, uh, not fork, what, like a prong in like the PR yeah. approach now for like all labels. Um, but like that era, of, I'm just thinking of like Ash Nico and like, and yeah. like the, I mean, the wave of like Billie Eilish, like what that brought on of like just downbeat sad weird warped voice like and, and like and so i feel like 100 gex was like reminiscent of both of them like a hyper pop like a sophie charlie's at the sort of moment kind of combined with this like dark like wattpad lyric like yeah soundcloud genius vibe that everybody was trying to like imitate um and it just got like boring i think people got bored of it i think a lot of things that became popular during covid people don't want to talk about anymore <laughs> like, yeah I, no i think i think and like fair honestly like it it's just like it's very stuck in like that kind of like late internet dark period and like a lot yeah. of like pop music and i would call like 100 gigs pop music at the end of the day like it just moved into like brighter sounds and yeah, yeah i don't know i just don't think that like kind of uh, that abrasion's not really something people were doing anymore at least in like the kind of spaces that i think they want to be working in so for sure yeah. yeah and I think that was it was like that's an underground kind of like music scene and like sound that like will thrive in those like environments with people who seek it out but like it was sort of a flash in the pan of like oh this is novel like this is yeah. cool but it wasn't <laughs> it doesn't have like the palatability I think of like other success stories no no it, it definitely doesn't but I I don't know I I hope that they bounce back with something interesting but like they i know they've been recording this album now for three and a half years and i'm like that's all and maybe I it's mean, incredible i mean like hey listen if you're listening out there 100 gex like i'm i'm rooting for you i yeah. hope it's a banger of an album yes we're, we are rooting for you and we hope that this is not like masochism 2.0 because that we can't have that so. i'm also like equally rooting for like your downfall so like you know like either i, I hope it's a banger or i hope it's like embarrassingly bad yeah like there, there are also like, I I mean there are new meme lords, 
and like edge lordy kind of like pop mm-hmm. stars who have like you know taken over like we have you know we still have ethel Kane. like ethel Kane's doing, <laughs> doing just great for herself right now like it's like we the like when you like go quiet for that long you just kind of you know you can't be a provocateur yeah. anymore if you're not like doing anything so well and i mean and i mean you brought up ethel so i'll bring up caroline i mean one Ugh, yeah. over 70 dollars to see caroline politic and ethel kane i oh, like, i will see you there though <laughs> like i, I willingly <laughs> like we're t- two suckers in this chat right now like willingly having like shout out like so much money to go well but... and i'm like i truly am like actually like a caroline Pol- if, if i had like if i was being waterboarded and it was like who is your pop star like who is your girl like, yeah like, like a politic 100 yeah. like chairlift stand so like the idea of like 70 dollars just to see caroline is a little like ugh. But Ethel, you know, bumps bumps the worth up. But like Caroline's somebody who like I would have told you like when Moth came out, like the closing of Chairlift, like good luck to you, girly. Like I don't see how you are gonna spin this in a new yeah. sound or direction. And like boy, did she wrong. She really you know? proved everyone wrong. And like <laughs> you know, I I think like I'm not. I, I really would like the new album to be good, and I think it's gonna be good. But like kind of a step down for paying. But like Same. I think she has really pivoted and branded herself super yeah. successfully to the point yeah. where I was talking to a fellow gay like uh, I don't know three weeks ago maybe uh-huh. who had no idea that Caroline Polifek was even in a band before right and that's like not written for Beyonce like hadn't done any of that and I'm like that's crazy to me but like also good for her for like successfully because she like has disavowed chairlift stuff basically so like yeah good for her for like actually doing it like right and i mean that was like a knife through my heart as like a little chairlift stand oh same Um, yeah like killed me internally but um and i do and i mean i do feel like the granny at like the rave now like the granny at like the caroline politics show where i'm like oh my god these kids have no idea um and like i know that the new album will not be like what i i think paying was like everything that like i wanted from like a solo pop like debut of hers and i'll call it pop like i like it is pop first like real like um like it was great i think this one is going to be way more of a commercial like hit i think she's going to solidify her fan base and finally hit like kind of maybe not the same level but she's like at the like the way charlie is a pop star for gay people like caroline is about to like subsume that level of like the mantle of like yep she's also here like she is kind of who everyone's she's not just like for the esoteric girls anymore (laughs) she's she's for everyone and like good you know good for her i don't i don't like i i like the singles so far too so i'm not i'm not like i have really no reason to say that this album is going to be like potentially worse than paying other than just like the vibe sometimes it's vibes you know what sometimes it's just like it's it's a vibe like you get a little feeling and like Mm -hmm. it is sophomore slump adjacent but like she's released like four out of the 10 or 12 songs on it and they've all been good so it's like okay like maybe maybe we're just being annoying i mean i'm absolutely just being annoying but also yeah. like who would i be if not annoying so exactly I, it's our it's birthright it's our birthright <laughs> to like complain about like niche pop stars not doing exactly what they want the, we want them to like that is like what i have built my career around you know. well andrew this was so fun i think we covered a lot of ground and hopefully have not upset people (laughs) i think we i think we were 100 correct today i agree i uh, i'll take that assessment 
And if we are not successful, then we can always fake our own deaths and uh, <laughs> reemerge two years later. Like by my new book podcast. in two years when I un unalive myself. <laughs> if people, um, if you want people to find you on social media, where can people find you? So it's uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Ela uh, Fisher. So that's I S L A F I S S U R E, like the actress and the anal Fisher. I couldn't have explained that better myself. Perfect. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at FKPigs with the Z, uh, at Drew Haskins on Instagram, and that also has Z's in it. And then follow up uh, Crisis Twink Pod on both Instagram and Twitter for direct updates. And check out Girls Room every week, um, produced by Spotify, hosted by me and julia gray we are kicking off our coverage of season three of girls this week um hopefully you enjoyed last week's episode with the costume designer from the show because that was very fun uh until next week all right bye everyone like what you just heard go to the show notes and whatever podcast app you're listening to this on and click the donation link